Hi, it's Hal Anderson. Thanks for checking out the daily podcast for my show, Connecting Winnipeg. And if you can, please listen live weekdays from 10 to noon on 680 CJOB. focus in a lot on the Jets home opener tonight. This is a big deal. We're going to talk to Kevin Donnelly in about half an hour after the 10:30 news. Uh, as you get ready to go to the game tonight, we'll touch base with Kevin. Carolyn Klassen is going to join us after 11:30 and we're going to talk about what it's like to be a passionate fan with Carolyn, the psychology of it, and we're going to start the show with a fan, a fanatic, a Winnipeg Jets die-hard fan, Greg Burnett. Uh, was on the start this morning. Before we talk to another real dedicated fan, here's what Greg told Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb this morning. I jump and scream when the Jets score a goal. I guess it just I look more normal inside the building when I'm jumping around screaming as opposed to downstairs where quite often it's just my dog and I. My youngest daughter will often come because her bedroom's downstairs. She'll get her phone ready to videotape me when she um, is suspecting something's about to happen. And um, she's shown, shown me some pretty, I guess, maybe embarrassing videos because I'm by myself cheering as if I'm in the midst of 15,000 people. <laughs> But it's, uh, I guess that's what passion is. I love it. That is passion, for sure. Passion for your favorite hockey team. Greg Burnett from the start this morning. Joining us now on the phone from beautiful downtown Gimli, Jeff Paulson. Jeff, good morning. Hi, I'm actually in I'm actually in beautiful, uh, almost heaven, West Kildonan. But, uh, but, okay, you've uh, made your summer, way into summer town. Is, uh, yeah, summer, summer is uh, safe for Gimli. Right, okay, gotcha. But when you are in Gimli, um, I mean, you do drive in for the games, right? I, w- I was told that. Um, no. Uh, oh, you don't spend your time in Gimli. I got you. Okay. I'm a three-season guy, too, so I now completely understand. But listen, you are a die-hard Winnipeg Jets fan. Let me start with the news here. Shifley joins Wheeler in COVID protocol. Does that throw a damper on things? We don't know what's going to come of this, but does that throw a damper on things for you, or, or you're you're there, you're hardcore? No, I'm still extremely jacked to be in the building again tonight. I was, you know, I was lucky enough to go to a couple of the preseason games this year, but you know, this will be the first opportunity to see a regular season game since we played Arizona in March of 2020 at home. And and really, I think we all knew something was coming, but we didn't really realize that night, uh, you know, sitting in the building that it was going to be the last game for almost two years. Um, so yeah, no. It, it, regardless of the uh, the situation with the roster, um, you know, cannot wait to get back there tonight. And it's funny, I was thinking about it. You know, when when you called me yesterday to, to tee this up for today, uh, and you suggested, well, there there won't possibly be a bigger story tomorrow than the Jets' home opener. And now here we are with an Amber Alert last night, and then uh, Shifley entering COVID protocol. So uh, how things right. change so quickly. Yeah, but I did want to start with this because this is a big deal, right? We have been going through this pandemic and we've lost so much of what we love and now we're getting some of it back, like going to a Winnipeg Jets game. I mean, it has been 500 and however many days. So, I mean, this is, it is a big deal. Why are you a big Jets fan? Why the passion for the team? I have been really my my whole life, man. I, I remember going to WHA games with uh, with my dad, you know, when I was six or seven years old, and then we were fortunate enough to have season tickets pretty much my whole life in the old arena on Maroons Road, um, Section 26, and and uh, you know really kind of um, was fortunate enough to go to you know multiple 15, 20 games a year kind of a thing, and and then uh, you know I was I was one of the ones that kind of always believed for the 15 years that we were without a team that it would come back one day, and when it finally did, um, it was. Uh, was really, um, you know, uh, um, a godsend, and 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 you know, really felt incredible. So, um, 
that that passion has just uh, never wavered and, and actually has only has only increased and, and now you know I'm fortunate enough to, to share that with uh, with kids of my own and and get to games with uh, with them from time to time and uh, and and now that uh, you know unlike the first go round where we were maybe get 15 at at most uh, televised games a year we we obviously now have have all of them televised so we're able to to, to watch as often as possible and and in situations uh, you know where we can't be there live or or watch them on uh, you know at home we we've got uh, your fine radio station uh, broadcasting for us on mm-hmm. uh, on the air yeah, and also on Power 97 as well, our, our brother station. So, Jeff, I, I played the clip of, of Greg Burnett. He's a passionate fan. You're a passionate fan. We've talked a bit about this uh, of late uh, with Bomber fans and Jets fans. You, you know, while you guys are passionate and, and, like you said, you're there no matter who's playing, you're a, a fan of the team, a lot of Winnipeg sports fans, and, you know, in hockey, maybe we blame the Edmonton Oilers for this, and in football, well, whoever, right? A lot of fans go, oh, you know, here comes the other shoe, right? Like, they're waiting for things to go wrong when things are going right. But yet, you and, and Greg and people like you, that doesn't even factor into it for you. No, I, you know, I, I, uh, I lament the, the, the fair weather fan out there and, and um, yeah, I think you know through thick and thin, and, and regardless of how uh, you know momentum may be going, or, or as you just put it, you know wait, waiting for the shoe to drop, um, mm-hmm. you know that uh, that doesn't factor in for me. I, it's, it's you know day in day out, and and, um, and you know kind of at all uh, at all costs. So uh, no uh, no concerns there on on my part from perspective of, of maintaining the absolute uh, fever for for both uh, you know the, the bombers and and the jets. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and uh, like I said earlier, a huge fan for now you know more than forty years of, of both clubs, and and uh, and absolutely can't get enough of being live at either the state or the arena to, to watch them and, and when you talk about uh, you know it's, it's funny how maybe some of us you know really rabid fans gravitate towards one another I, I, I had the uh, opportunity to meet Greg uh, Burnett uh, uh, way back 10 years ago when the Jets played there uh, uh, in Phoenix for the, the Coyotes home opener and a, a huge throng of Winnipeggers traveled down there and we have to be sitting uh, at a table with mutual friends uh, at a spot not far from the arena in Phoenix so I, I know him I know him well and I know his passion quite well as well mm-hmm. your kids are into it too uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, very much so. Um, uh, you know, they're 11 and 12, and uh, and yeah, that uh, it's almost innate uh, in them now that uh, you know we we get together and we watch we watch the games together, and when we're fortunate enough, we go to the games together, and uh, and yeah, they're they're uh, they're right uh, right whipped into it like uh, like I was when their age. And I got to let you go, but a final question here for you: What do you say to those fans now? Uh, that you know, slow start for the Jets. I mean, we you know, I mean, we're real early here, but yet people are already grumbling. That's, that seems like that's the nature of any, I think, of any fan base and any any really kind of a rabbit or loyal fan base. And um, you know, was was that, was that start on the road uh, ideal? Uh, absolutely not. But it's it's three games of, of 82, and uh, it's a long season ahead of us yet. Uh, and I think that you know we still have uh, extreme reason for optimism with the uh, with the roster that uh, that the club put together uh, for this season. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to much better things uh, moving forward. Jeff, enjoy the game tonight. Thanks very much, Al. Right now, a, a story that will make you uh, feel warm and fuzzy. That's certainly what it did for me. Yesterday on the show, I played a clip of uh, Main Street Project on Global News Morning talking about the need for coffee. They're low on their coffee supplies. And Rob Young, the owner of Writers and Rockers Coffee, heard that on my show yesterday. And he contacted me and said, Hal, we're going to help out. Rob is on the phone now. Rob, good morning. Good morning. How are you? 
I'm excellent. I have tried your coffee. In fact, I'm writing about your coffee in my Winnipeg Sun column, my house kitchen <laughs> column for page two of the Winnipeg Sun on Sunday. And so I appreciate you listening. And well, um, you. how much coffee are you going to give them? We're uh, roasting 50 pounds for them right now. Yeah, you're a smaller operation, right? I mean, you're not uh, yeah. you're not doing. But so for you, that's well. Listen, for Main Street Project, that's significant. Uh, you know, the cost of everything, including coffee, has gone up. That's that's a big yep. deal. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I started this, uh, you know, so a couple of months ago, and it's just been blessed with the support and and that we've gotten from everybody. And uh, and Hal, you know, this is Winnipeg, and this is what Winnipeggers do. Absolutely. Um, you're a writer. People will know your name, Robert Young, as the writer of some of the Bomber books and, and other stuff. And mm-hmm. I love the concept. The coffee is all about writers and rockers, and you're actually donating the 50 pounds of coffee with Chris Burke Gaffney. Yes, we. Uh, one of the blends that that we uh, that we do is called. Uh, was originally called Coffee for the Queen, which was developed in 1984 at the request of Buckingham Palace when the Queen visited Canada uh, in 1984. And that was right around the time that the pumps were uh, were active and making a name for themselves. And so we've teamed up with Chris Burke Gaffney because they've uh, re-released their original al- uh, album on a CD. And it's got that song, Coffee with the Queen. And uh, so we've put that together. And I spoke to Chris uh, yesterday, and he loves the idea of making this donation. And so we're uh, moving moving forward with it. Mm-hmm. I've known you for a long time. I was really good friends with your parents, uh, mm-hmm. Gord and Loretta. They were just wonderful people, um, and, and yeah, they would be really proud of the fact that you're helping out a, a good cause like this. Why the love of coffee? I mean, I, I said yesterday before I played the clip from Main Street Project, I, I love coffee, and I need it even more now with my show starting <laughs> earlier in the day. What is it about coffee? It, it gets us, it gets us through uh, those tough times. It, it makes us feel good. It's, it's. Really really kind of a a wonderful thing it's become part of our toolbox Uh, as a writer the last book i wrote i was jokingly posting on instagram about how much coffee i was drinking and uh someone made a comment that i should start my own coffee company so um i did and uh i've got a lot of musician friends that you know over the past two years we've kind of everyone's kind of been stuck at home and coffee is one of the things that we enjoy and uh you know taking this to the theme of, of writers and rockers uh, you know, all of our blends are theme-based, and uh, uh, in fact, we had some uh, a woman yesterday picked up a, a, some of the coffee with the Queen one, um, and she said her and her friends back in the '80s used to follow the pumps to all their bar shows, and in fact, she met her husband at one of the pumps uh, events, and uh, she was so happy just to see her smile and just the giggles that she had carrying this coffee was amazing. Yeah. And, hey, and give if us we your... can do that with a drink, why not? Yeah, right, sure. Give us your website quickly. I mean, it is available in a couple of stores around town, but uh, give us the website and, and mention the stores if you want, if it's not too long a list. Writersandrockers.coffee.com. Uh, uh, it's available at Food Fair on Lilac and uh, Radiance Gifts on Cordon right now. Okay. Excellent, and and more locations to come. Hey, Rob, yeah. thanks a lot. Before I let you go, I want to bring in Anastasia Ziprick from um, the Director of Development at Main Street Project. She wants to say thanks. Anastasia, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm excellent. Go ahead. What, what did you want to say to Rob? Well, we just wanted to say thank you so much. I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. It was such a big surprise and such a 
big amount and warm and fuzzy in so many ways because we're going to be able to provide so many cups of coffee to our community. And and the fact that it's coming from a, a local roaster means a lot to us. Thank you so much, you guys. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for what you do. Oh, we appreciate you. And I'll put a challenge out, Anastasia, and thanks for taking a minute to say thanks. You emailed me this morning and said, hey, I'm hearing rumblings that we're getting a lot of coffee, and you wanted to come on and and thank Rob uh, on the radio, which I really appreciate. Uh, And you talked about the importance of coffee, and, and, you know, my show is called Connecting Winnipeg. You talked about how coffee is uh, is a way of connecting at Main Street Project with your clients. I'm going to put a challenge out. I've, I've talked to, over the years, several local coffee roasters, and I'm going to challenge all of them to match or beat Rob's donation of 50 pounds uh, wow. for Main Street Project. So hopefully yeah. others will do this. But individuals can help out as well. Quickly, Anastasia, tell us how they can they can do that. Uh, there's lots of ways. You can go to our website, but you know we're, we're always encouraging people to buy from a local roaster and have it shipped over to us. We can pick up, too. Thanks. Okay, and they can get a hold of you online, obviously, or look up the yep. phone number. Anastasia, thanks a lot. Keep up the great work over there. Rob thanks, Young, Rob. thank you. Thanks, Hal. Thank you, Hal. Thank you. Bye. All right, that is excellent. Love it when that... Uh, Love it when that happens. Love it when things come together like that. You know, we just, it was, it, I, I literally filled 30 seconds of the show yesterday with that. And I thought, well, oh, this is sort of an interesting uh, request. And, and then, you know, and, and as Rob said, this is a Winnipeg thing. This is, uh, this is just uh, kind of what we do. All right, as we begin a new half hour, a little maintenance, as they say, here in the radio business. Lois was the winner of our tough trivia question. 6% of women hate this about themselves. For men, it's 2% their ankles. They hate their ankles. Lois took the tickets and treats for two at Landmark Cinemas. That means we'll give away the four-pack of moose tickets at the end of the show when we play Total Recall. And producer Jeff Forche is playing this song here because I requested it. And here is why I requested it. In 1977, on this day, 44 years ago, Meatloaf released the landmark album Bat Out of Hell featuring the epic Paradise by the Dashboard Light. It is one of the best-selling albums of all time with sales over 50 million. Jeff, turn it up a bit, please. Let's take some of this. All right, listen, it's a talk radio station. It's a news talk station, so that's enough of that. But I had to, uh, one of my favorites, that's for sure. I'm thinking it might be one of Kevin Donnelly's favorites. Kevin, good morning, is it? Oh, it would be further down on the list, pal. I think it's not not top ten in my book, sorry to say. Okay, all right. What would be top ten, I'm curious? Give me a couple that would be near the top of your list. Well, I mean... I'm a Beatles fan. I'm a Rolling Stones fan. I'm, of course, a Springsteen fan. So Meatloaf yeah. would just sort of filter further, further lower down. Gotcha. I understand completely. I get it. Yeah. Um, you are the senior VP at True North Sports and Entertainment. You certainly bring a lot of bands and, and musical acts into town. You're here today to talk about the Jets' home opener, which is happening tonight at Canada Life Centre. Are you excited? Oh, absolutely. This, this, this is like the Rolling Stones on stage. This, this, this is... 
what we work for and what we, you know, gear ourselves up for. So having the team back, regular season, home opener, it's, uh, it's a culmination of a ton of work, a ton of excitement. You know, it, we obviously will have the game here on CJOB tonight. Curtis Carpet's pregame with Kelly Moore and the gang starts at 5 o'clock. Um, but there's nothing like being at the rink, right? Oh, it's incredible. And, and I think Winnipeg really is, is, is in a class of, amongst very few in terms of just being so renowned for having educated fans, for having vocal fans. We get excited. We come in droves. We fill the building. So, uh, you know, that, that's not common around the league these days, but... Uh, you know, Winnipeggers know what they like, and, you know, the passion for the Jets is still out there. I love the new food items. Uh, the light show looks phenomenal, looks fantastic. Yeah. What are some things that people need to keep in mind as they head to the rink tonight? Uh, you know, size of bags and, and the rules. I mean, you know, please remind everybody of those, hopefully to move things along a little quicker tonight. Sure. So doors open 90 minutes before, so you have the opportunity to come early and get ahead of the crowd and get, get in as quickly as we can process you. <clears throat> have your vaccination doc- uh, d- documents ready. Uh, your ticket, uh, you know, loaded on your, on your phone or whatever. Uh, be, just have all that information ready for scanning. Um, <clears throat> we do ask people to wear a mask throughout the time in, in the building, except for actively eating and drinking. Um, as you mentioned, the bag sizes are smaller this year, so it's a 12-inch by 6-inch by 3-inch is the limit. Any kind of bag, but it's got to be, you know, kind of like that small small purse, large wallet kind of thing. Um, if you do need, if you do, like there were medical exemptions, so if you do have a larger bag, a diaper bag or something, or medical requirements that don't fit in there, go to either of the doors on Donald Street. So Donald at Portage or Donald at Graham, and we can have an x-ray machine process that bag. So it's not a problem if you do need to bring a larger bag, but it has to have a legitimate medical or family kind of need. Um, you know, the Dirty Catfish Band is playing, as you mentioned, the big ice, uh, the Big on-ice projection is in place now. The, the 50-50 pot starts at 20 grand, so that should be exciting. So just come, have fun, be ready. 90 minutes for doors. Bring all your vaccination documents and, you know, wear a Jets jersey or your favorite attire. and It should be fantastic. You know, obviously for fans, we were talking to super fans today, right? And and obviously for them, it's about the game. It's about the hockey. But it's about so much more than that, too, right? I mean, there are fans out there that, yes, are there for the hockey game, but they're there for the food or they're there for the light show or the band or, right? It turns into a big night of uh, getting out and enjoying um, a, a bunch of stuff, not just the hockey. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what? We're a small town, and this is a big activity in a small town. So it becomes vitally important for all those people around us, the restaurants, the parking lots, the hotels, everything sort of benefits and the whole, the whole boat rises with the tide, as they say. So, you know, we, we play a role in a small town like this. An event like this is a big occurrence, but it helps and it just the ripple effects go far and wide. So we're thrilled to be a part of it. People, you know, we want people to get excited and come down. Uh, there's a game tonight. There's a game Saturday. We have nine games in in november so there's lots of opportunity we we, you know we are looking forward to seeing everybody uh wear your mask bring your vaccination documents uh and get ready for a great time still some tickets available absolutely tickets uh we have we have tickets i I think a few got released this morning in the in the lower bowl but there are some upper bowl tickets and then just go to the website pick a game that you like uh there are seats available kevin donnelly appreciate it thanks a lot thanks so much help Kevin Donnelly, Senior VP, True North Sports and Entertainment.
I think he kind of, I don't know if he dissed Meatloaf. I mean, I get it. Listen, Meatloaf or the Beatles, come on. I, I mean, I, I understand. And I'm I'm not so much, I don't really have any one particular act that I'm just in love with. I have very eclectic music taste. So, for example, uh, you know, that Meatloaf tune, I, I really like that tune, and it reminds me of happy times, right, going to high school, picture good high school. Uh, I'm more a song guy than I am a, an act or band guy, but uh, I get it. Anyhow, I thought it was interesting that it's uh, the 44th anniversary of Bad Out of Hell today, and I appreciate Jeff Forche, uh you playing that song for me. You know, um, I just wanted to play one clip here. Yesterday, uh, uh, Winnipeg Jets head coach Paul Maurice was on the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham, and he talked about the importance of having a full house at Canada Life Centre, having a full hockey rink and it really does matter to people like coach maurice and the players that are playing the game i can't even i can't explain it and i tried to articulate the idea of how much the energy in the building makes the game fun it changes the entire game so that game last night looked nothing like you know what any of the games that we played last year and we were playing in the north division it was a different style of hockey but to empty buildings and it, it felt like an entire year of exhibition hockey and then last night, it was just a reminder of, of what makes this great. It's when you get into a building and the fans have that energy and that buzz and the players respond to it, and then they just feed off each other. So we had great hits and the crowd's going wild and everybody's wired. And you, you have that moment behind the bench. Ah, yeah, this is why I love this job. This is why the National Hockey League is the best sport and it's such a fantastic sport to watch. They, they bring... They, they bring meaning to the game. The reason why you would push yourself that hard and block that shot and take that hit and make that play, um, that, that, that's the purpose of this whole thing, is, is, to, is to excite the people to come to watch the games and be in, a, be in a job that you love that much that can bring out that passion. And the fans, I, I think, is a, a silver lining, if you will, and I'm certainly not trying to mitigate uh, or understate you know, the terrible loss that this disease has caused but if there's something that we would take away that's specific to our job, it's I don't think there's a National Hockey League player that doesn't appreciate the fans that he plays for in a whole new and completely appropriate way. I mean, they are the key to this operation. And having that building full and having having them interact in that way is, is just the best part of our game. That is Jens, uh, Jets bench boss Paul Maurice. So get out there tonight. Get a ticket. Still tickets available. Get out there for Coach Maurice. And your favorite Winnipeg Jet player, get out there and support the team. By the way, speaking of support, thank you very much. Rick just said here at 204-780-6868, Hal, I heard uh, your chat with writers and rockers. Coffee went online, ordered three banks to sh- uh, bags of coffee to show my support for them as they are sending 50 pounds over to uh, Main Street Project. Very nice, Rick. Thank you. Yes, it's writersandrockerscoffee.com. Calm and all those other coffee companies out there, I challenge you uh, to send 50 pounds over to uh, Main Street Project as well. Joining us on the phone now, Arthur Schaefer, Professor of Moral, Social, and Political Philosophy at the University of Manitoba. Arthur, good morning. Good morning, Hal. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. You know, all through this pandemic, we've had these blanket rules um, and there are, it seems, always exceptions. The latest, we had a woman the other day telling the story of how her father was taken to ER, and while they were uh, allowed in to see him, 
just before he passed away, uh, they were being kept out of the ER. I, I mentioned a gentleman that I met the other day. Uh, his parents uh, just celebrated their 66th wedding anniversary apart. Um, it just strikes me that we need to be better at dealing with these uh, cases um, specifically, one by one, and, and deciding, yes, okay, this is an exceptional case. As an ethicist, what do you think as, as you hear these stories? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this, Hal, uh, with these kinds of cases. Uh, and I go back and forth between contrary positions. So my first thought is that, that we're looking at, at situations of uh, where there's a risk of harm and there's a benefit. The benefit is the enormous emotional significance for families and for a dying person that they be together during the last days of life. I, I mean, I, the, the, the emotional and familial importance of that can't be exaggerated. So allowing families to be with their loved one at the end of life is hugely important. It's really valuable. So that's the benefit side. The risk side is that uh, when you have uh, one or more family members uh, in the emergency room or in the intensive care unit in the hospital at a time of COVID, uh, there's a risk that the infection will be spread to uh, vulnerable patients or even to uh, to staff. So my first thought was, well, it's a it's a case of of uh, of trade-offs of you know maybe maybe a slight increase of risk of harm to others would be worth taking given the enormous benefits to the family. Then my second thought, which moves in the opposite direction, is. Our intensive care wards and our emergency wards are overwhelmed. They're on the brink of collapse. So the extra precautions that would have to be taken to minimize the risk, ensuring that everyone is fully vaccinated, ensuring that, they, that they're all wearing hospital gowns and masks, ensuring that their exposure to uh, other patients on the ward is uh, minimal or non-existent, that would take a lot of resources at a time where we don't have them. And so maybe it's a reasonable restriction. Can't, now, you raised the question, can exceptions be made? Should we look at it on a case-by-case basis? I think that um, we've clearly, for the past however many years, we've under-resourced our hospitals. They're a, a precious public resource for our community, and the government has preferred to uh, take one percentage off the sales tax and uh, reduce property taxes rather than properly funding hospitals and schools and universities and so on. I think that's a bad trade-off. I, I think it's. I, I think we need more nurses and more nursing assistants, and we just we need to have hospitals and uh, long-term care homes that are funded well enough so that we can so that. When somebody's dying, their family can be with them in the last hours and the last days of their life. So, as you can hear, I'm going back and forth. I don't know. I don't just don't know if we have the resources to accommodate the needs of dying patients and their families. But uh, boy, do I think it's important. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I guess this is, I mean, every day you're dealing with these moral dilemmas, I guess, for lack of a better term, right, where you're you're weighing both sides. I mean, the, the daughter that we had on whose father passed away in an ER, she says, you know, here we have football games and, and hockey games where people are vaccinated and masked and they can do that. But, you know, her, her mother could not be, uh, in the end, they were there at the very, very end. Um, but, you know, and, and even, even Dr. Rusin yesterday, uh, who sort of said, you know what, it's all right to stand now with no mask and take a photo, you know, which, uh, hasn't been the message we've been receiving all this time is some of these, the latest is Marcus Chambers, the deputy, uh, mayor who, who was, uh, photographed without a mask at that Winnipeg Art Gallery event. Yeah. Uh, it just, yeah. it sends, a, it, it sends a message to everybody, but to some out there that go, well, see, you know, it, it's no big deal. Yeah, yeah, no, I, well, I think that's a separate point, the mixed messaging, the uh, do as I say, not as I do, when our Minister of Health is uh, standing for a photo beside her her uh, uh, dining table, beside the uh, the table, along with a number of others, none of them. None of them mask, even though the regulations require that. It does send mixed messages, and people become cynical, and they start to ignore the rules. I I think that's a real problem. We need leadership, not just with brave words, but we need to to feel we're all in it together, and the people who are calling on us to obey the rules and to take uh, all the precautions necessary to protect our healthcare system from being overwhelmed— we need to see that they're following the rules that they're making. They're making the rules, and then they're not following them. And it promotes public cynicism, and that's really corrosive. But this is, I think, a separate issue, because we're talking about uh, the emergency room of a hospital or the intensive care ward of a hospital. We're talking about places with lots of highly vulnerable patients. Everyone is fully vaccinated who's in those hospitals so that's some protection but these are very vulnerable people <laughs> excuse me and there, we know that the vaccine uh you can there can still be a breakthrough infection even if you're vaccinated it's less likely much less likely that you'll become infected and infectious to others if you've been fully vaccinated but still it's possible and with highly vulnerable people we need to take even more precautions. So I would say, uh, yes, they should be allowed to spend the last few days and certainly the last few hours with their, with their loved one. Um, but they should have super precautions taken to protect them and to protect other people. They should be gowned and they should, be, they should have the highest quality mask and they should be wearing caps and they should... Uh, be to the maximal extent possible isolated from uh, other vulnerable patients. So, um, and all of that takes resources. So the question is, how how are how are we going to fund it? How are we going to find the personnel to enable families to be together at this wonderfully important time in a family in a family? Mm-hmm. It's critically important uh, when our hospitals are, are on the brink of being overwhelmed and. And I think the answer to that is that we need a government willing to step up and say, you know what, maybe we have to pay higher taxes to get the kind of public services that are hugely important to our quality of life. 
Yeah. This mantra and, of low of low taxes and public service mm-hmm. cutbacks and fewer nurses and fewer emergency rooms and fewer doctors and underfunded schools, it's just not the way we should be going. Yeah. And I'll bet a lot of people that weren't asking that question before the pandemic are now asking that question, saying, hey, you know what, maybe maybe we do need to invest more in our health care system. And you know what? Yeah, taxes have to go up a bit to make sure that happens. We'll, we'll see. That's that's going to be a question that uh, we'll maybe get the answer to uh, on an ongoing basis down the road. And I just want to I'm almost out of time here, but I just want to get a, a quick thought from you. This isn't why I had you on today, but any thoughts on the churches losing uh, to the province in court uh, over the COVID-19 case? Uh, legally, no case there for the churches. What about in your opinion? Yeah, it's what I predicted. I mean, in, in a way, it's a no-brainer. The churches say we've got a fundamental charter guaranteed right to association, and it's true, as individuals do. Uh, but in a time of pandemic, uh, the the constitute the the uh, the these <coughs> excuse me the first article of our constitution, paragraph one says that none of the rights uh, guaranteed in the constitution life, liberty, security of the person, freedom of association, none of them is absolute, and that they can be restricted if the government can demonstrate that it's reasonable. They've got to demonstrate, they've got to have evidence that in a free and democratic society, restricting people's liberty is necessary. And the government has an overwhelmingly, a transcendentally important role in protecting public health and protecting our healthcare system from collapsing. So it was uh, you know, charter challenges or challenges challenges to provincial human under provincial human rights legislation are almost guaranteed to fail. So the result is exactly what any uh, uh, constitutional legal scholar would have told you. If the government can show that it's really necessary and that it will work to protect public health, then those who say I'm not going to wear a mask or I'm going to go into a mall without my mask on, uh, they're going to lose. And they should lose. Arthur, got to run. Thank you very much for your time today. Really nice talking with you, Hal. Uh, Have a good day. Joining us now, as she does every Thursday morning after the 1130 News, Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling. Hi, Carolyn. Hey, Hal. How are you? I'm good. Hey, I want to talk about your morning. So you spent your morning with some principals, school principals. Tell us about it. I did, yes. The principals were gathering together. First time they had met with each other face-to-face in two years. Um, Very socially distanced in a large library, but there to sort of talk about how to um, do their jobs better. And they invited me in for a couple of hours to spend time with them. And what I was just really struck with two things. One was the courage and strength and beauty of these folks that have just continually worked to support their teachers and the students in such a challenging time. And then also sort of some of the fragility and the worn outness of them um, and how they need care. Um, and principals are often kind of top of the food chain at, princi- uh, at, at a school. And so they're taking care of teachers who take care of students and who takes care of principals. And so it was, it was just, I was 
I enjoyed the time with them, and I was just reminded all over again of how we all need that um, support and care, and we need to be seen, heard, and valued. And uh, it was a chance to for me to do that with the principals. And if any of your listeners are out there wondering who they might want to send an encouragement email off to, might I suggest that it be the principal at your child's school today? There you go. I want to ask you about this. Um, I think you started doing more of this actually during the pandemic virtually, right? Speaking to groups like these principals today. And, and now today you were able to meet in person, although, uh, as you said, in a large room and, and you know, a, a safe distance apart. So when you do this, Carolyn, as a, as a therapist from, from Connexus Counseling, what are you there for? You, I mean, obviously you're talking to them, you're connecting with them, right? Uh, but, but what's the point? Tell us about that. Well, what I often just um, encourage people to do and I spend time with is like, let's just name how hard this is, because as people are working really hard to do their jobs well and to be good enough for the people around them, they sometimes don't realize how much everybody else is struggling as well. And so I work to just bring in the common understanding that this is a hard time for everybody. Let's talk about it and let's. Um, find space of uh, Viktor Frankl, who was a psychiatrist, a Jewish psychiatrist during World War II. Uh, he was in a concentration camp um, and lost members of his immediate family. And he says, in between the stimulus and response, in between what happens out there, like the pandemic and response of how we react to it, there's this space. And in that space lies our growth and freedom. We can make choices what to do with the feelings that we feel in response to what's happening out there. And so I really talk about how we can create a space where we can choose our responses to ourselves and to the world in ways that allow us to move through this time more effectively. Uh, And so I just love being able to connect with people about this hard time and giving them hope and help to make it through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do it. You you do it here on on Thursdays, mm-hmm. and, and you're out there as well. And if somebody is interested, uh, you can reach Carolyn as we tell you the website all the time: connexuscounseling.ca. I was just curious because uh, I know you're doing more of it, and and sometimes it's virtually, sometimes it's in person. Hey, we're talking to super fans today because, of course, it's the Jets home opener tonight. The Curtis Carpets pregame show goes at five o'clock here on on CJOB, um, but uh, listen, there are some tickets available, and the Jets would love to see people out there, and they've got new food items, they got the new light show, and of course the hockey game, their band's going to be playing tonight, there's lots of reasons to go to the game and, and be there in person. It, you know, sports fans, like I talked to Jeff Paulson, uh, we've had others on the air already today, sports fans, I mean, they are just so passionate about their, in this case, hockey team. Any thoughts on that and and their love of of the game and of this team well as a mental health professional i love things like the jets where there's this chance to focus on something that is exciting and life-giving and isn't about the mundane burdens of life but gives us you know something to talk about there's competition there's just something so delicious about a sports game where we can celebrate the triumph of the human spirit and really work towards a goal, watch somebody else work towards a goal and cheer them on. Um, I just love that whole idea of it. I saw on, uh, I think, Instagram with um, CJ, on CJB's feed as Macklin McGarry McNabb went there and saw some of the light shows. Like it yeah. just looks, It's so fantastic, and they've done such a good job to create an entire experience that is more than the hockey um, and at a time like this that is hard on people and people are feeling worn down and worn out, this is just put some wind in our sails. And who doesn't love talking about a great victory the night after a hockey game? 
Mm-hmm. I want to switch to a much more serious subject here. Today is Wear Purple for Domestic Violence Awareness Day, and it's to raise awareness about domestic spousal and uh, teen dating violence, and people are asked to wear purple today. Uh, I was just the other day actually watching a documentary uh, on uh, on uh, domestic violence, and, and it really is... Um, well, I'll let you. I'll let you weigh in. It's a. It's a horrible. It's real, right? It is real. It's very real, um, and often we don't realize how real it is because people that are experiencing domestic violence or intimate partner violence, it's not something that you bring up at the dinner table um, or in casual conversations with friends. And so, it really is important for those of us who see little warning signs where people, you know, divert their eyes or change the topic or kind of uh, give off subtle hints that their relationship is not going well, that we have the courage to say, I'm not trying to invade your privacy, but I care enough to ask, how are you doing as a couple? And are there things, are, are there things that you want to tell me that I won't judge you for that you need support? Because when you're in the middle of a domestic violence situation, it's really hard to think straight. It's hard to look at options. It's hard to imagine that it could be anything different. And so the support and a fresh perspective, a fresh, kind, non-judgmental, caring perspective is absolutely vital. And we all have the ability to uh, intervene in a way that can change the outcome of a situation. We had a, a heartbreaking story on the air this week of a, of a woman whose father ended up passing away in ER, and until the very last minute, uh, they didn't. She didn't think her mom was going to be able to be with her, uh, her dad at the end. She was right at the end, able to uh, get in there. And I was talking with an ethics prof earlier today, Arthur Schaefer, about this, and you know he was going back and forth, and boy, this is a tough one, right? Any any thoughts, Carolyn? These these heartbreaking, tragic stories of how. Um, you know, family members can't be with loved ones at at near death or when they're very ill. It breaks my heart. Um, and the way I connect personally with this was when before I uh, had my uh, so- second son, I spent well over a month in hospital um, awaiting hopefully the safe arrival of his birth. And it did turn out OK. But that month was a very long one. And visits were the bright spot of my day. And those were how I got through a very difficult and stressful time was the people that would drop by and connect with me and tell me a little bit about the outside world, and give me a hug and tell me that I mattered and that they cared about me. That was the sustaining force that got me through a very difficult time of my life. And so as people are facing, you know, end of life experiences and just stressful being in hospital, um, those visits are so important. And they're, when they're not able to have them, there's such a toll that is, um, that happens. And so there's this real risk benefit analysis where we have to realize that there is a risk to uh, having visitors in, but there's also a risk to not having visitors in. And I love that, that there is some humanity that is able to return to some of the policies. And at, at the very end of life, a partner can come in to visit and be with her husband of, you know, more than six decades um, for those last moments as he enter- goes from one world into the next. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to get to everything here today. Unfortunately, a couple of uh, things we won't get to, but I do want to get to this one. You know, I had a thought with all the shortages we've been hearing about toys, right, and and with inflation and prices on the rise and stuff, 
I had a text message uh, yesterday or the day before from a listener who who said, you know, maybe it's time we just get back to the basics, right? Like maybe maybe this Christmas is about not spending a bunch of money and stressing to try and find that toy that's not available that's sitting in, you know, some shipping container off the coast of California. Or, and, and you know what? I kind of went, yeah, you know what? Maybe Maybe we do need to get back to basics this year. I love that idea, and I love that people – uh, maybe not for the, the 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 shortages are what's making us talk about this, but at least we're talking about it. That at the end of our lives, we're not going to say, "Oh, I wish I'd had that toy," or "You know, I wish I'd had that fancy sweater." We are going. The things we're going to regret are about sharing love and being with the people that matter to us and letting them know how we really feel about it them and having them express those thoughts to us that's what's really going to matter and so we can give those gifts where we can give experiences um, many people will just want like that's what we're doing sometimes as a family now is I'm going to give you the experience of I'll make dinner for you and we'll do this in the evening and they prepare it lovingly and it's a gift right or you write a letter of kindness and thoughtfulness and meaning to the other person in a way that they can hold on to it um, and I, I think that those are great options where you, you give non-tangibles in a way that actually will have a staying power that a practical gift wouldn't. And the other thing that I love about what we can do in terms of meaning uh, and gift giving is to gift with gift catalogs through various charities that are saying, you know, for 70 bucks you can build a school toilet for 1,350 girls. And mm-hmm. so those girls will be able to access education in a way they wouldn't be. Like, can you imagine 70 bucks changes over a thousand girls' lives um, in terms of education? Who wouldn't want that as a gift given in their name? And there's also, you go online, gift catalogs, charity, you can find a catalog that suits and you figure out the person that you care about. What would be a meaningful gift in their name? Should I buy a goat or a chicken or should I buy you know, a well or something eco-friendly, what would make a difference in their lives? What kind of gift can I give that would honor who that person is in my life? Yeah, no, you're right. And it shouldn't be just this Christmas because stuff's hard to find. It should be every Christmas and maybe make that a new Christmas tradition for your family where you do something special like that for someone in need. Carolyn, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. 